Welcome back to the Two Black Runners podcast presented by The Running Report. I'm your host, Joshua Potts, and welcome to episode 34. I'm really excited. We're back on Two Black Tuesday. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? We're back on Two Black Well, actually, it may not be, but I'm going to edit this. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get it done for sure. But I'm your host, Joshua Potts, and we really do have a really special podcast for you guys this week. Like, it's really, it's a current podcast, and for all our track fans out there, just like me and my co-host, you're going to really enjoy this podcast as we're going to get a look behind the curtain of track and field and see how these meets get put together. But before we get deeper into this and before we introduce our guest, I got to introduce the brother from the same mother, Super Hot Pots, Aaron Potts, bro. Aaron, how's it going, bro? How's everything going? Bro, always good to be on the podcast with you, man. And I'm excited today what we got going on. We're going to take people behind the curtain and interviewing someone. Um, doing something we've never interviewed before so i think it'll be good i think it's always awesome uh when on two black runners we can really you know encompass everything track and field everything about the culture so who we have on today is definitely going to give people a deeper insight into how the track world works a little bit so i think it's going to be a good one and i'm excited josh Yeah, it really is going to be a good one, bro. We definitely like, dude, this, we have the guy that's behind the curtain. We have the dude who has the finger on the pulse in track and field. We have the founder of Sound Running. He's a former head of sports marketing at Brooks. And really, he, he does it all. He does it all. He's making these meets happen in Southern California during a pandemic. Can you? I, that's a magician's act if I've ever seen one. I have to say myself, bro. Join the show here today. We got Jesse Williams, bro. Jesse, how's everything going? It's good, guys, man. I can't complain. Uh, it's pandemic and, uh, you know, uh, I guess if we're healthy and, uh, you know, moving forward every day towards this vaccine, we're all good, right? Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> For sure. To be able to, yeah, to be to be breathing and to not be sick in these times is, is just definitely a blessing in itself. Um but for you, this is, I, it's been a crazy year for all of us, but with you, you started, you started sound running in, uh, was that 2019 or, or 2018? Yeah. yeah, 2018, but we started putting on events in 2019. In 2019, you start putting on events and in 2020, you know, disaster hits with COVID. How has it just been handling everything, everything you do for a living now? It's been a little crazy. I went from not thinking it would be a big deal because I thought it maybe be a two month thing, which I think all of us were in that ball, yeah. you know, um, to um, realizing, okay, this is really serious. Okay. I have to learn as much about this as possible. What are the USATF guidelines? What are other sports doing? How are other sports getting um, competition in, in a safe way? And it, it's weird because I think there's the jokes online right now that everybody is now like an epidemiologist or that we're all like, you know, um, and it really does. I feel like the amount that I've had to learn about stuff that I really have never really, I'm not a germ person. I'm not like, I don't have like, mm. I don't ever think about that whole world. And here I am like, okay, we, you know, thinking about an event through the eyes of kind of not only the optics from everybody watching for the rest of the world, but, for the athletes competing, how can I make the person that is the most paranoid feel safe in that situation? Not how I would feel safe, but how can I make it? So it's it's weird because safety yeah. has become this really big thing. And safety isn't usually like 
75% of your, um, you know, thought process, mm-hmm. you know, so it's changed a lot, but, um, we've been able to, you know, work with a lot of good people and figure out ways to provide these opportunities in a safe way. So I'm, uh, I guess I'm optimistic and uh, feeling uh, very lucky. It's definitely crazy just to, with all those changes that you have to go under, like you've been able to already put up two meets during the summer. You're going to put out another meet uh, this this weekend as well. Like it's crazy, like at least like the one person that's put out like the most meets like in the States as it looks so far, definitely feel like on the West Coast, like consistently right up there to what... Uh, what Portland, what Portland was doing as well, Portland track and then Bowerman, but those are like all comers as well. But like mm-hmm. you to be able to put these on so many meets with like so many people coming is definitely something impressive. But as we get deeper into this podcast, could you really describe to the people like what you do? Cause I feel like it's it's a hard thing for like me to, to like understand or even to like explain. So like, if you could just explain like, what, what do you do? What would you say your job title is? Yeah. So, um, as an event director, there's a lot of things that go into that, but, um, and the more, the bigger the meet, the more complicated, the more different things that are going on. But, um, I would say first and foremost, like you are providing opportunities for athletes. So you look at the calendar and you say like last year, our first event was USA's was a month later than normal because world Mm -hmm. was a month later than normal. So there was this giant gap in the calendar in July where we said, talking to other friends and coaches and they're just like yeah we got no events for the next month we kind of really need something and i just was like i southern california i can put on a meet here if you guys would come like yeah that'd be great and so it's kind of starts with an idea and trying to fulfill a need and so that need might be like this meet you know the window for world athletics and olympic trial or olympic qualifying times opens on december 1st so we thought Mm -hmm. Why don't we have a meet at the beginning of December? We don't know how indoors is going to look this year, but we feel like it's much safer running outdoors. And what if we put together a competition for these 5K and 10K athletes, which it's a little harder to get those times than the 5K and 10K because there's fewer opportunities, especially the 10K. Mm -hmm. So I guess number one is when you look at doing an event, you look to fulfill a need. So whether it's a competition or whether it's, Athletes need a, uh, a day where they can earn money. So that's what we're hoping to turn the Sunset Tour into is a big earning opportunity in the U.S. so that people don't always have to go to Europe. Um, and so fulfilling a need is number one. Number two is then all the things that go into doing that. So securing a venue, uh, making sure you have a timer, making sure that the word gets out about the event, which yeah. getting the athletes to show up is actually not the hard part. Um, I would say the hard part is getting the fans to show up Mm -hmm. and that's the part that we were really focused on for 2020 was we had picked these venues and we picked the big venues on purpose because I said, well, I don't want to go to a meet with a thousand people. I want to go to meet with 10,000 people. And Mm -hmm. that was our goal. We said track and field is that interesting. It's LA there's, and it's SoCal, there's that many people that are fans. Yeah. Olympics here in 2028, let's build it. And so, I'm generalizing, but I'm saying, I'm kind of saying the most important things are we need to put people in seats. We need Mm -hmm. to, um, make sure there's, uh, we're fulfilling a need for the athlete, whether it's a competition or a chance for a qualifier 
or you know whether it's just trying to provide a circuit for them to compete on. You mentioned the events in Portland and a lot of the other events this summer, and we all talk to each other and, and share ideas. So it's not a, I would say it's an open. We all are looking to make the sport better. We're not trying to like mm-hmm. go against each other as much as we're saying, hey, what are you doing? How did you, what did you learn from that? Like, oh, people really like that. We'll do that too. You know, so. We don't, we, you know, we're always learning too. So it's, uh, that's dope. it's ever changing. Yeah. And I think that's, that's definitely needed, um, in the sport, but from what you sounds like, it sounds like you, you work for the culture. Like he's, what he's doing is for the culture, which is dope. But I was just, we'll get into this a little bit as we go farther along, but I was just thinking like a meet director from Portland track festival to sunset tours. It's like almost like being an owner, uh, in the NBA, like everybody, has something they're kind of working towards that they want to keep filling those seats at the at these NBA arenas and keep marketing the NBA um, to the best of its ability. But before we get deep into that, we want to like learn a little bit about you too, like how you got into the running, running industry into everything, but kind of like where, where, where are you from? Like, when did you get into running and all those things? Yeah. Um, I grew up in Illinois, so it was like, um, central middle of nowhere illinois um and uh you know i played uh basketball in high school and ran track and at some point you realize well i'm on the basketball team but i'm not i'm not really going anywhere here but track i'm the best guy in the team and i'm having Mm -hmm. success and we all know like what that feels like when you feel that you gravitate towards that even more so you spend more time doing that you spend more time hanging out with those friends and running kind of took over my life um, in high school, at least took over my friend group. And I kind of fell in love with the whole, the whole, the whole thing, the friends, the runs, the, the atmosphere. And so, yeah, it started in high school and um, I ended up running in college at Texas Tech. Um, I was okay. I was like the type of guy that if I put together a really good like Big 12 meet, I would have been maybe able to score points or something, but I was never like, I didn't go to, I didn't go to NCAAs. Um, I was, I was better at the long distances. So most of my like decent running came later. Um, but I did reaffirm my love for the sport through having like really great coaches and teammates. And when I finished uh, college, I actually wanted to coach and I applied to, I bet you I applied to 30 coaching jobs and it just wasn't happening. I was not, mm. I mean, it was not happening. Um, it's tough. Not, yeah. Not a call. I mean, there's a million former distance runners trying yeah. to coach, you know, and, and whether it's at the high school or college level, and I don't even really know what would set me aside from any of the other people other than maybe I know this person or that person, but that, you know, it just, I wasn't getting a call and call back or anything. And, but I wanted to stay in running. And so I started applying to uh, jobs in the running industry. And I got a job at Brooks, Brooks Running. And I, I started out as a, like a field marketing rep for them um, and ended up being there for quite a while. But that was like the weird kind of non planned path into the running industry. Um, I never had a plan to be working for a running company. I never had a plan to run in college mm. or to run after college. It just all kind of happened. It's like running kind of just kept the one constant in my life and it still is. 
what what do you think it was like when you think back to those early days when you first started running in high school and started really starting to fall in love with the sport and the culture was what well, was there something about uh like the people or like the competition that you really enjoy compared to uh basketball and other sports you played in the past uh i would say number one thing was success i mean the basketball i was on the team that was about it so i was good enough to make mm-hmm. the team but it's illinois it's central illinois like basketball like I, we had a good team i was not i was never gonna be always, yeah you know i was like oh. not it, like when i was in high school Maybe. right around when they were making hoop dreams i don't know if you guys ever saw that movie but oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's amazing so that shows you like basketball i think we all went out for the basketball team because you felt like that was the sport in illinois um and then once i started having success in track that i mean i i hate to say that that was the biggest motivator but that was a big motivator when you're successful at something Mm -hmm. and you get attention right or you're the you know and so and i realized i was meeting uh guys and girls on the team that i'm sharing this experience with which is unique and we're becoming really good friends and then you kind of just like stay down that road because now those are all your best friends and mm-hmm. you run plenty of miles with them so you're even closer and it's uh i think that's what pushed me into running was not only success and being a little uh selfish when it comes to liking that um but then you just make the friendships and it just like cements it yeah, I think it's really crazy of all the people. We've had a lot of people on the podcast and a lot of people, they just end up saying like, I kind of just like got here and running, like kind of just came onto like a slippery slope at one point where it's just like they made one decision, one decision. And then the momentum of that decision led them into something somewhere running that they never saw themselves being when they're like five, 10 years old. And it's really wild how that gets us places but then especially you you ended up working at brooks running and then you you pretty much worked from like the bottom all the way up to the top and you did some great things and like a like uh innovative things at brooks like what was your whole entire mission at brooks when you're able to get to the top and what you really want to change there with the company um i i so i was lucky enough brooks is like picture your high school cross country team Mm-hmm. in a company like that sounds lit that's yeah that sounds so <laughs> that, when i was working on a team everybody was like young and and excited and and wanting to um at the time i think we were like only the fifth or sixth brand in like running specialty accounts when i started mm-hmm. and um the thing that we saw about brooks is brooks was more like your dad or your uh your aunt who walks or somebody wears brooks but like mm-hmm. No fast people were wearing Brooks. No like high school athletes were wearing Brooks. Nobody, no no athletes were wearing Brooks. And so when I got hired in sports marketing, that was how do we fix that? And we started, you know, we uh, sponsored the Hanson's Brooks project, original mm-hmm. Brooks project, which was a really good start because they were running the road races and the marathons, and we instantly had success with them, um, and it instantly kind of validated, oh, like. There's a lot, there are fast people wearing this product. The product is pretty good. And then, you know, it's just like a little evolution from there. All of a sudden it's like, well, we had this idea for this Brooks PR invitational for high school. And it became kind of the like high school national championships. And we started the Brooks beast because we knew we needed 
um, representation on the track. We had it on the roads and kind of in the marathons, but we wanted, you know, that middle distance to, um, you know, that 800 to 5k group, you know? And so, but I would say the, the mission always with that was I wanted to see faster and younger people wearing the product. And it really helped that, like they do make really amazing product and the company itself just, um, it stands for much more than just good product. It's, it's like sharing the run together and it's this run happy mentality. And so, Mm. and I think run happy, um, which is kind of the Brooks ethos is, um, it's no more evident than when you watch like a high school cross country race or you watch like a, just anything um, from that realm. It just, you don't have to explain to somebody what run happy is if they watch some high school track meet or cross country meet, you know? Yeah, I feel you. I wear Brooks Adrenaline every, that's the only shoes I get for like the past three years. So I got, I'm on GTS 20 right now. So GTS 30, I'll still be here most likely. There's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people that are like, you just keep putting them out. I'm gonna wear them because that's my shoe. And (laughs) yeah, Noah. And that's, that's actually, that used to be the number one selling shoe for like a decade, it was the number one selling. It was like 50% of the business. Um, but now it's actually wow. the ghost. Yeah. Um, the yeah. ghost kills like, it. And now they have a bunch of shoes that are really good. At first, yeah. it was like kind of a one-trick pony. Um, you had like one good shoe and everybody loved it. Now it's – you got a dozen really good shoes you can put on. So, And it must, have, it must have been crazy too to work at Brooks at that time because when I think about it, like Brooks Beast, like – I feel like that was, was that high school or college for me? I feel like that was high school, but. They started in 2013, yeah. 2013, okay. So I graduated in 2012. So yeah, I was right, right when I got into college. And I feel like now, you know, Brooks is like number one selling uh, running shoe at specialty. And on top of that, they're just known with like the Brooks Beast. You got Desi in the marathon. Whereas before growing up, it was just, you know, you got all those clubs in Oregon. And if you go back in the day, like Santa Monica track club, right. um, what was it like to see a brand just explode like so quickly onto the scene like that? Yeah, we were lucky. I mean, I think our brand was doing it at retail really well. And so because they were doing so well, they were kind of exploding onto like the mass market running scene that it was able to give somebody like me budget to st- to go and say, Hey, what if we started this like Brooks beast group? Or what if we did this high school meet? And luckily they were behind that because they know that part of being a running company is supporting the sport. And, mm-hmm. and that is support for the sport. If you're sponsoring a professional team or if you're putting on this high school meet, um, that's, that's a lot of money that you're putting yeah. towards something where you could be putting it towards, I don't know, digital advertising or, you know, whatever that you think, you know, and we were able to hire, you know, Danny Mackey as the beast coach who was able to, you know, over the years they've attracted so much talent. And then I think what they've done with the talent has attracted even more talent. You know, now there's all these different groups out there and an athlete, a professional athlete can look and say, I like this coach. I like this brand. I like this city and I can move there. And they actually have options. It's not, well, I go pro and I have like two options. Yeah. Now, now there's options and it's cool because options are good. Options mean there's going to be competition. It means people are going to get paid better. 
It means you're going to have better um, resources, whether, you know, that's physio or travel or, you know, whatever it is. And so I think it's amazing that Brooks was able to make that investment and that here they are seven years later and they're still making that investment. So that's, that's big too, because it's one thing to make an investment for a year or two, but to stick with it for, you know, it's already been seven years. They've been with the Hansons for more than 15 years. Yeah. And the emergence with all these groups too, it's almost making it so big once these like high profile college athletes like become pro, like thinking back this past summer, like with uh, Carlos Villarreal and Gordy Beamish and Oliver Hort, all those guys, when they finish their four years and like, where are they going to sign? Where are they going to sign? Just throw the curveball, uh, debuting at your meet actually too with uh, on athletics and that just becomes like the big thing like low-key soon enough with all these groups we're going to need a draft or something to where (laughs) somewhere we're going to end up to see where these riders go i mean that'd be a really good scenario and the on running group um a guy i worked with forever at brooks became the head of sports marketing at on and started that on athletics group a guy steve the poker and so like yeah, they uh, and then they went and signed every uh, you know, a big big haul of people this summer, which is perfect timing. Um, yeah, and I love seeing all these different groups because, like you said, it just makes it you know makes it more fun when they're going pros. Like, where are they going? Are they going on? Yeah, East. They going Bowerman, OTCs. You know, like NAZ. There's just so many options now, yeah. and they're gonna get, they're gonna end up where they're supposed to be because there's options. They don't have to go anywhere. Yeah, and it's almost like too like uh, at Brooks that it, it proved that that blueprint worked where you invest in the sport and it invests back into you because like Joshua just said, we see on signing all these athletes now. We see Hoka with all these groups. Um, I'm pretty sure we're gonna see Ultra with the group soon. We got Reebok with the with the group. All these different yeah, people yeah. putting on track meets. But I also wanted to talk about what was like. The, the importance of signing like an athlete, like the infamous Nick Simmons, like signing someone like that. Cause like you signed Nick Simmons and now seven years later, there's a Spencer Brown athlete special on, on the Brooks beast. Can right. you talk about, uh, yeah. Why is an uh, athlete like important, like Nick Simmons to have with your brand? Um, you know, so we talked earlier about athletes and validating your brand in a way. Um, validating, you know, um, the performance side of your brand and the beast. When we started the beast in 2013, that was instant kind of validation. We had a team, but validating the beast when we were able to sign in January of 2014, we were able to sign Nick Simmons right after he won a silver medal at Worlds. Mm. It was like not only did we validate Brooks, but we validated the team instantly because a guy who had at that moment his choice of anything, you know, he just won a silver medal. He was maybe one of the most popular track and field athletes in the world after his, you know, after that medal and his kind of, I mean, he was, he won at least two diamond leagues that summer. I mean, he was on fire. I think he was ranked number two in the world at the 800 by the end of the year um, behind the world champion. And so to be able to attract him and honestly, we attracted him, not just because of the team and the resources, but he really vibed with what Brooks was doing. He thought, wow, you guys are trying to do something different. I want to be a part of that. And that's kind of Nick, been Nick's thing since day one is he's going to 
he's going to look out for the sport. He's going to look out for himself and he's going to do what he thinks is best for both. And he thought joining the beasts was good for him as a pro. And he thought, I like what Brooks is doing for the sport. So I'm also on board with that. And so it was really big, like to sign him. I mean, we were, it's funny because it started six months before we signed him. We started talking to him and it just started as a joke conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw him at a di- We saw him in London because he was training in the same area of London as uh, as our team was. And he's like, "Oh, you know, my contract's up at the end of the year." You know, and we were just on a run with him. We're like, "If you're serious, you know." Like, and he's just kind of joking. And I I think I texted him in October and I said, "Hey, if you really are serious and your contract's up and you're entertaining it, why don't we bring you out for a visit?" And he's like, "No, I'm very serious." when you want to do the visit and like two weeks later we brought him out and we did this full like he met with the head of marketing and they told him like what we're about and how we would market him we met with apparel and they said like how they would use him we met with footwear talked about how we're going to build him a special spike and we just did everything we could to kind of you know we you know uh took him out for a drink like everything you know like we mm-hmm. knew what uh you know, sell him on Seattle and Brooks and, but it started, you know, in June. So, and then I remember going down to the running event, Austin in December and trying to uh, talk to him again about, you know, I didn't want anybody to talk to him. I remember I even uh, tried to help him do a workout and, uh, doing everything, getting down, down the track. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> a couple of weeks before, we did like a four mile tempo and I helped him. I was like, okay, I can do tempo. Yeah. But an 800 meter guy doing a tempo, so I can play that game. Yeah. He was doing like uh, three minutes on, one minute off, like things around Town Lake and Austin. And it's just the most devastating thing to run with somebody like that when they're on, <laughs> when they're on their game. It's just like you're not even, you yeah. feel like you're, you're missing a leg or something. So, um, but that's, that was the hustle we did to get somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And I think Nick respected that. And I think the validated the group and how serious the group was, it's not just a flash in the pan. Here we are signing, you know, at that point, the best middle distance runner in the U S if not world. And so I think it was, um, but it's, it's not just a one like couple week thing. It's like, that was six months to do that. And it was a year of Danny Mackey building this like infrastructure that could attract an athlete yeah. like that. And I feel like that just goes across all sports too. Just look at of just signing that signature athlete, like looking at how much at watching the last dance, looking at how much uh Nike did to get Jordan to sign with yeah. Nike, or maybe even looking back now to like look how much Jordan was getting to sign Zion Williams Williamson. Like that's a big thing. Zion's gonna be around for yeah. a long time and attract a lot of people. And like you said, uh nick simmons definitely solidified that brand like he was my favorite runner at that time that's probably why i still wear brooks adrenaline's a little bit so like it's definitely definitely goes a long way but also we really wanted to talk about how'd you come up with sound running now you're the big boss and what you said 2018 the plans started happening and in 2019 you put on your first event at sunset tours at azusa pacific and um Pacific in Southern California, where did the whole idea of sound running come about? Um, you know, I would like to pretend like it was this grand plan, but it was, it was a, an assortment of ideas and um, trying something and just seeing what, stu- what stuck. And so originally sound running was 
this training platform. We're going to put all these training plans up. We're going to partner with events and become their training partners and create custom training plans for events. And that's, we still do that, but that was the whole premise of the business was to be this training partner. Um, I had a bunch of friends signing up for five K's marathons, half marathons. And then a month later, they're like, Hey, I bought this program online. I don't know if it's good. What should I do? Like, and you just realize, Oh, there's a market there. There's all these programs online. You don't really know what you're picking from. And sometimes it's just an Excel file, um, of numbers, but you know, so how can we make, how can we make that better? Yeah. How can we make that more interactive and more specialized, um, for the event. And so, and even for the event, you're getting people to sign up, but where's the training, you know? And so how can we partner with them and do that? That's what it started out as. And we were doing that, but it's very slow moving. Um, and I really enjoyed events when I was at Brooks. That was my favorite thing is when we were planning, whether it was going to the trials or we were planning the PR invite, or we were going to have a, a party after the marathon trials, no matter what kind of event it was, I, I think I just enjoyed, um, the, being able to be creative around that, but then mm-hmm. maybe the OCD part of me, like the organization of it all and like bringing everything together at that moment. Um, and so when we had that opportunity last summer, we did that event kind of as just a, let's try this. This'll be fun. And you know, this will be good for the rest of the brand to kind of get the name out there. We did it. And as soon as we did it, I realized that's the most fun I've had in a long time as far as like being excited about what I was doing. And the athletes and coaches and agents seemed to think it was a really positive thing. Um, and they were like, you should do more. We, you know, and I basically talked to a couple people I really trust in the industry and said, Hey, what if we did this next summer, but we made it bigger and it'll give me time to get sponsors and to bring in prize money and to really make it a whole different thing. And then it just became this thing where, okay, now that's what we want to do. We want to modernize track and field with regards to what people think about um, the event product, what people think about earning potential, what sponsors think about the value. Our goal was to start that in 2020. And uh, I think 2021 is now that marquee for us. But um, yeah, there was no there was no grand plan. There was no, um, oh, we're going to be an event company and we're going to go do this. It's just, I think like a lot of things, we, you find out what maybe people need from you and what you're good at and it just kind of end up end up there mm-hmm. that's kind of what we did it was so great too last year at the sunset tours because i remember a whole bunch of my college teammates once they heard like centro was going to be there and then bryce hopple was racing and a whole bunch of other guys like they all flocked to that meet at azusa i couldn't go because i had to work i was i was super bummed i was like dang i want to see i want to see this event and they all had a great time there and you really and this past year, you were, you were concentrating on like building out more, but really staying true to like Southern California, like meeting like San Diego and then more in L.A. And then even in the track meet happening this weekend, it's still in Southern California. Why do you want to concentrate in that area besides to going somewhere out to usual like Oregon or Washington or Colorado or something like that? Why Southern California? Um, I would say a couple of reasons. One is that. We have the, in Southern California, we have the most um, dependable weather. Yeah. Um, 
Facts. racing conti- conditions outside of a couple days a year are going to mm-hmm. be nine out of 10, you know? And so track now, maybe the, the goal with the sunset tour later on is to be more of a, we're going to race and we're going to go for prize money. And it doesn't really t- time isn't as important, but for a lot of these events, time is the reason you show up you have yeah. to run a fast time. And so good weather helps that. Um, I think it's a major media market. LA is, you know, attracting sponsors and saying we're doing an event in LA is way easier than a lot of other places. I mean, it's it's one of the best places in the world to hold an event. That's why there's so many professional teams here. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so you got the weather, you have the, and there's the fact that there's so many good facilities down here. I mean, I've found that out through process of just talking to so many different coaches and facilities during 2020, there are so many amazing facilities down here. And when you're talking about trying to get 10,000 people in the stands and find the best venue for, um, for for fans to be able to be a part of it. I always think of like some baseball stadiums, you're kind of just sitting back and you're kind of don't feel like you're part of it. And some, you feel like you're on top of the action. And so we're looking at stadiums where it just felt like fans get more engaged and they're more on top of it. And there's just a lot of stadiums and places to choose from here. Um, major airports there's major hotel like it's just it's easy to do a big sporting event here and um not that there's other places that don't work but i would say those list of reasons make it kind of a perfect spot yeah and and i was like just thinking about what you're saying like you know there's a weekend every year that mount sac weekend you have mount sac you have brian clay and then you have people racing at long beach all great stadiums or some people racing at Cerritos, another great stadium. So what's cool about California is, you know, eventually having that series like throughout throughout California at all these meets. And you could kind of get whether it's like SoCal, maybe eventually go NorCal too. But you can gather that audience uh, around in that SoCal area. But I also want to ask you, like, what do you think is missing from the atmosphere of a track meet? compared to let's say like the NBA or like I always talk to people about like I'm not a hockey fan but if I go to I've been to a hockey game and going to the game I'm like oh this is this is dope this is sick there's so much Mm -hmm. energy in the air but I feel like me I love track and field so if I go to a meet you know I'm into it but what do you think is missing in the atmosphere to get that person that's not that sold on it already going into it uh, I, you know, this is a tough question. I think it, first we just got to try something different because what we have right now is this, it's really hard to package track and field. There's so many events. And if you, a good example is the Olympic trials is the Mecca, right? Of the, uh, every four years for a track fan. And even I, by the end of the Olympic trials, there's days where I'm just like, eh, I'm not going to go today. Like that's crazy. Yeah, right. yeah. Like I would never miss an NBA playoff game. You would go like, to all yeah. seven. Right. You would go to all seven because it's – and so I don't – and I don't know that I know the answer to this, but the packaging of it has to be in a way where you can keep the audience's attention. And I think Diamond League has taken you know, a, a shot at it and, and it, it's tough because they, they've eliminated events and they've done some things and – but I do think the tough thing to hear is that probably the sport to get to the level of other sports or even to get somewhere in that realm, 
mm-hmm. or it will probably have to change quite a bit. Um, there's probably too many events to cover everything in one one meet. So maybe it's you have to split out events into situations where they work better. Cool, because field events are a thousand times cooler if you're up close and personal. Yeah, you yeah. know, watching okay. the triple jump or the long jump from across a stadium is nowhere near. If you were right there next to it and you watched Christian Ta- Christian Taylor do the triple jump, mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. you you know your mind would explode. You're like, what did he just do? Because you can see it. But when it's yeah. across the stadium, you're like, okay, it looked like he jumped pretty far. Ama- but like, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I just think the packaging of it and how do we get fans in the stadium? I think we have to do better at um, at just getting the sport out there. Athletes have to do better about telling their individual stories. It's a sport where it's very like this loneliness of the runner or this like, you know, grind type thing. I think sometimes um, a lot is lost in that. That's why I'm like really applaud these groups who are doing a ton online to showcase what they're doing because they are building their own little fan base because there's so much info. People can follow them along. It's like the real world, but with a team Yeah, yeah. follow it along and whether, you know, like, it does grab your attention. And so I think more of that, um, but I wish I had, I, I think the goal is we got to try something new. And so we're going to try something new. I think money talks as well. The more we can get sponsors involved, the more we can fill stadiums. Um, you know, I think if you build it, they will come type of thing. You know, I think, uh, yeah, you know, and, and athletes will show up and sponsors will show up and TV will show up and streaming will show up. If, if there's enough money involved. So from, you know, Sunset Tours, and then we're, we're about to get into the track meet as well. Like, with with COVID, um, and, you know, vaccinations might be coming out soon, but from what you've learned from putting on these, these track meets during COVID, like, how do you, what are some things that you can see that you've, that you've implemented in the track meet to make it safe in Sunset Tours? What are some things from that that you think you'll see at um, other meets in the future? And also maybe some things that you found that present like opportunities of more entertainment from these meets that you think could be implemented into uh, future track meets. Yeah. I think one of the things, I mean, this meet coming up, like the fact that we're just doing 5k and 10ks is an example of how you can take just a couple events and create an event just with a couple events, you don't have, to have everything. Um, not that that's the future of anything, but like that's just something that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, try that and see what people think about that. Um, but that's been out of necessity, not because we were creative, but it was just kind of a necessity to like figure this out. Um, I think for a while, safety standards are going to be a thing at events. Um, it's going to be a while before people feel normal again. And I mean, I don't know if you guys do it, but I'll find myself watching a movie or a video and I'll see like a crowded room or people on top of each other. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, what are they doing? Like, where's everyone's <laughs> yeah. mask? Like, you just touched that person, she just touched that. And, and it's because your mind has already become like, oh, that's not good. You, mm-hmm. People can't yeah. be close to each other. That's a crowded place. That's not. So I think, if anything, it's just made all of us meet directors more aware of this type of safety. Um, I've learned more about testing and infectious diseases and 
uh, all the different protocols than I would have ever known in my life, probably. Um, and I always feel like that any, any knowledge like that as an event director, when you're always planning for the worst, um, or you have to plan for the worst, um, is, is good. Um, you know, you have to plan for crazy case scenario. Uh, otherwise you're not doing your job, but we've learned a lot this year and I don't know that, um, we've seen what's next quite yet, but I think creativity that comes out of this year from a bunch of different people who have done these pop-up meets to, you know, these inner squad meets to a meet like ours, which is just a couple events, just different. And I still think different is the recipe right now. I think once these meets start coming and we're able to go to meets and everything, there's going to be a new appreciation for just running and professional track and field in general and just all sports. And more people are going to, since we had it gone for so long, there's definitely going to be, I feel like more people that are going to want to come to it. And another thing that I feel like is really big is like, like how you want more, like people don't have to fly overseas to go out and compete. Like the competition is here. I remember when we had the chance to talk at, to Ben Blankenship at the last uh, Sunset Tours when we were in media there, he was saying, I was asking him like that same question. He was saying after running the 5K, he was all like, yeah, the competition's here. Like I think after that guy's been over to Diamond League so many times and for him to say that I can see the competition here and people are running fast times every single time. Like even in the States from Shelby Houlihan running whatever that American record and stuff like people are going to see that the talent's here. And I think it's so great. And I hope, I hope that there's going to be these circuits that you're going to put together in the near future. Hope that becomes the new, new thing for American distance running. I hope it gets to stay in SoCal too, because I can get to go to more as well. And SoCal is nice, but yeah, I think these great things are coming our way from sound running for sure. I hope so. I mean, I, I'm going to be the person out there um, if we get these vaccines and that life goes back to normal this spring or whatever. When we're doing our meets in July, I'm going to be the person saying, hey, remember when you couldn't come to the stadium? Get yeah. here. We need to pack this stadium. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's. Um, I think we have taken that for granted and and uh, we've had people reach out about our events and ask if they can attend this year. And it's we, we said no, which is the weirdest thing ever to say is that you can't come attend our event. And we're mm -hmm. going to do the exact opposite. When it's safe again, we're going to say, bring all your friends, bring your whole family, let's fill the stadium. And so I'm anxious for those days. I think we all are. <laughs> we're going to be like that this weekend, though, Friday and Saturday. Everybody's streaming on Runner Space, correct? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, Runner Space, USATF TV, the link's up on our uh, site. But um, yeah, it's uh, hopefully, you know, we uh, can be entertaining for a couple hours on Friday and Saturday for everybody. Yeah, everyone's going to be watching the track me. First off, I just want to ask, where'd you come with that? Super simple, but you came out with some merch as well with like some hoodies and some t-shirts to go along with it. The, the track me, it looks dope. Just where'd you come with just that simple name as we come back to the return of the track here in December? Yeah, um, originally, I want to say that we were talking to a couple sponsors and one of the sponsors, their goal was to keep it really simple. And we were like, yeah, you know, and we were joking about it's just going to be, you know, the track meet by this sponsor, by whatever. And, and, uh, it just always stuck with me and I've had people really throw way more creative ideas, but, mm -hmm. um, 
I think I like the idea of just saying like, hey, it's it's 2020. It's just a track meet. Just show, <laughs> like, like, let's go. Like, let's let's get everybody on the track and let's run. There's there's nothing more to it than that. We're putting on a track meet, and uh, yeah, I, I think it, it was just that simple. And maybe it was a lack of maybe it was creative, maybe it was lack of creativity, but it's the track meet, and um, that's kind of just how it stuck. And when we put up the the website and the imagery, just kind of stayed with it. And everybody keeps calling it the sound running meet or the whatever, but um, it's just the track meet. <laughs> just the track meet. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we don't we don't really have many track meets this year, so I feel like that does kind of like just stand out. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm going to the track meet. Everybody knows it's the track meet. It's the own it's the only one going on right now. So right. There's not others, yeah. Yeah, so I feel like you, you can't really miss it. Uh, what there are some and we're looking at the at the list. There's some big names coming. I mean, I saw Hassan Meet on there, Alicia Munson is on there who who are some of those names that you're excited to see in these 5ks and 10ks um i would say uh the 10ks are a little special because i do think the 10ks are unique in the fact that you don't see the 10ks run very often so there's Mm -hmm. maybe two or three really fast 10ks in the united states every year there's more than that in the ncaa but for professionals there's like two or three opportunities so I got to say that the 10Ks will be pretty special. Um, on the women's side, the NAZ Elite Girls, they've already run fast this year. Yeah. And um, oh, yeah. now they're you know they're doing it again in this qualifying window, trying to get their times. Um, obviously, Alicia Monson, like that's a, you know somebody who I believe is their 10K debut. And um, Dathan thinks she's really fit. And he's, you know, really excited to see her, you know, go for it. I think on the, um, the 10K side for the men, I mean, there's just a whole slew of guys like uh, I know Chez, you know, came out in 2742 at our meet earlier this year. And um, he definitely looked like he had much more in him when he did that. Um, yeah. So there, there's that. There's there's quite a few guys in that heat. Patrick Tiernan, um, Eric Jenkins, all these guys that I'm hearing how fit they are. And there's a couple names like Alex Masai and all these kind of wild cards where Kip Wesley, Kip too, all these guys were just like, keep hearing how fit they are. I, I, who knows who's going to mix it up and feel good on that day, but all we can do is put them on the track, keep it safe, get them some good pacing, and see where it goes. Um, I will say this. Uh, there's a couple big names that won't come out till Friday. That won't come out till Friday. Ooh. There's some bigger names that will uh, you guys will be excited about, that, but it won't, that won't happen till Friday. Yeah, I they, saw. I saw recently. Walk out to the theme, theme music. Jim Ross is gonna come out. Stone Cold, Stone Cold. No, I saw recently too that Central was added to the uh, uh, the five k. I was like, oh, okay. But it's a it's weird times because like, yeah, on one end you have those athletes that are trying to hit these qualifiers, and then you have these big athletes that you know it's also a rust buster. So it's gonna be right. super interesting to see, like. Yeah, I feel like there's gonna there might be a, a gap in some of these races, but I'm just interested to see what are people gonna run, and I'm just excited to see people compete as always. Yeah, it's, I, I think you're right with the um, the fact that a lot of these people are ready to go because this has been it in their mind for two or three months, and that's why we work so hard to provide the opportunities because this has been it for two or three months for them, which that's mm-hmm. rare 
in any season. There's like a couple races you do along the way or whatever, but this has been it. So I think you'll see some people really, really, really fit. And I think you'll see some people who they're, they're in their fall training phase and they want to get a race under their belt. And I think that's where a guy like Centro is. Um, but doesn't mean it's not exciting to watch an uh, Olympic gold medalist run, yeah. you know? So, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, you got athletes anywhere and in between for, you know, as far as that uh, fitness level and how uh, pumped they are to, uh, you know, to throw down a time. And then I need your, I need your final sell. Just like, why do we need to tune in? Why, why, like, why do I need to show up? I don't know what I could be watching Friday, Saturday night, but I'll, I will be watching this. But why do I need to show up and watch this this Friday? Yeah, what's well, on now? It's uh, uh, NCAA hoops are on now finally. Um, but I'm trying to, yeah. There's not. I mean, there's so I really not. I would say track because this is it. Like this is like the swan song for 2020 track. So like let's let's watch these guys. You know, go out with a bang. And um, I, I think um, there are. Some eight, I think we're going to see people get Olympic A standards, but the good news is that you're going to see so many people where their goal is to make the Olympic trials, get those mm-hmm. trial standards here, which that's huge in our sport, you know, like to make the Olympic trials. You see like the NBA draft and you see those people at home with their families and there's their only goal ever was to make it to the NBA. And I think of the Olympic trials as kind of the same, like getting to the Olympic trials for most runners and most track and field athletes is that like you made it to the dance, you made it to the, you know, to the league or whatever it mm-hmm. is. So there's going to be a lot of people getting those times. And like I said, I think the names that are at this event, like for the 5K and 10K, it's kind of the unofficial U.S. championships, if you ask me. There right? is. You know, so yeah. if you watch the U.S. championships, 5K and 10K, you know, they're on separate nights. I hope so. So I think that's like that's my plug, you know, um, is it's it's the 2020 version of the uh, USA uh, 5K and 10K championships on the track. Hey, if if you watched Mike Tyson fight uh, Roy Jones Jr. last weekend, like, come on, you need to tune into the track meet. Like, hey, if, we could, if we got you know one one hundred of that viewership, that'd be amazing. Uh, <laughs> I guess we got to get, you know, a YouTuber and a former NBA athlete to jump in there somehow. Can we get Spencer uh, Spencer Brown to fight Jake Paul, Joshua? <laughs> <laughs> they can race a mile, though. They can race a mile. We'll see what happens. Yeah, you Put know, uh, that's made for TV right there. <laughs> well, with all that, Jesse, we're going to go to some closeout questions. We really do appreciate you coming onto the podcast and uh, just spending this time with and. We're excited to watch the track meet uh, this weekend. Yeah, with the as part of the track meet, you you made apparel, and um, those funds are going to go to support uh, Clemson, uh, Clemson track and field, who's just being cut. Can you talk about the importance of collegiate track and field for for the U.S. and yeah, because I kind of feel like track is an endangered species right right now. We're on the brink of becoming an endangered species, and how is it how how important is it to support and help these programs that are being cut? I think it's very important. Um, if you look at the sustainability of our sport, I mean, my business and our events, our livelihood is tied to whether there's there's college programs that are there to nurture these high school athletes that are on their way to not only getting their degrees, but to to take them to the next level. And whether it's 
um, having the facilities for that or having the coaches or having the, the scholarship or to be able to be a student athlete, like if you take those opportunities away, it hurts all of us in the sport. It hurts the high school programs because what are you, what are you working for post high school? It hurts um, on the college side because it just is this gap of student athletes. And I would say the sport in general, like if you don't have the college system, which is actually producing a crazy amount of our Olympians, yeah, then it hurts our Olympic birth or Olympic births. And, and, and so I think it's very important and we have to do anything we can. I mean, we're doing, we're putting the sales toward of our, um, track meet merchandise towards those efforts. Um, I'd love to say that that's going to like, you know, make this gigantic difference. It's, it'll help its money, but I, mm-hmm. I, you know, we really need a much bigger support and we really need, um, a better system in place collegiately so that this isn't always the thing that happens when a budget gets tight, they just get rid of cross country or they get rid of track. we got to figure that out. It's a much bigger thing than even these couple of programs. It's, it's something that we're not going to see end anytime soon if we don't figure it out. Yeah. So yeah, if you haven't already go follow a uh, save Clemson track and field on Instagram, sign that petition for sure. Cause yeah, I, I agree, man. College track and field is such, so important um, to our sport, to our system in the U S like I always say, Grant Holloway, number one hurdler in the world. He was just in college last year. Like crazy. Yeah. We we're that's how we that's how we produce our athletes is is through is through college. People come to the states just to run in college here to you know help take yeah. them to the next level. So it is very very important for us. I also want to know, uh, Jesse, you've been to a whole bunch of track meets, saying you've been to London, everything like that. Just who could you name like three of the most memorable or like three of your favorite athletes that you've seen like in person compete in track and field? Ooh, um, I'll say, let me see if I can think of moments, um, which include the athlete. But so I was lucky enough. I was in uh, 2008 Beijing when Bolt uh, broke, wow. uh, broke the 200 meter world record. That's um, crazy. We yeah. were, I was sitting actually up there with Mark Floriani, who Mark is the founder of FlowTrack. And we were sitting in this like box. It was just like me, him, and the Hanson's coaches. And we watched Bolt break the 200 meter record um, in Beijing, which first that stadium is one of the coolest stadiums in the world. I don't mm-hmm. know if I've ever entered a stadium as cool as that. And then that was when he was like on. I mean, he ended up running faster than that the next year in Berlin. But when he did that, I mean, Michael Johnson's 200 meter record seemed like awesome. it seemed like when he ran, he ran that when I was in high school. And when he ran that, it was like, you thought the clock was wrong. You thought the clock broke. <laughs> like, so to see Bolt do that, that was probably number one. Um, I think a lot of people will agree um, with me on this one. The, uh, 2008 Olympic trials, men's 800. Um, there, was something, there was something about that race. I think it was cause the dive, we, you know, like weeding was coming up at that time and he was kind of this unknown. And Simmons was this like guy who everybody was waiting for him to kind of take the throne. And 
and the way that race unfolded with him coming from behind and the dive and like having to be three Oregon guys and mm-hmm. even win Hayward, um, all those things came together to create this like kind of insane event, um, this insane moment. Um, I'm trying to think of a third. I, there's been a bunch of other races that I really uh, enjoyed. I would say maybe I'm keep going back to 2008, but maybe that's because I was just like so new at that time and they really mm-hmm. like solidified it. Um, I remember watching the women's uh, 10K. And if you knew what was going on, you knew how big of a deal it was. Um, Shalane Flanagan and um, Kara Goucher and Amy Yoder were in the top three positions and they were all battling. Um, but the thing that people didn't know was Kara and Shalane already had the A standard or whatever it was at the time. So, like, they could have jogged it in and they were going to make the team. Yeah. But Amy Yoder did not have the standard. And Amy took the lead and just put it down, like, put her head down and just did, like, the most amazing run. I mean, to the point when you're putting, you're you're trying to beat two of the best girls at the time and, and maybe ever. And yeah. I just remember thinking, like, does anybody here realize what she's doing? Like, she's not trying to just win this race. Like, she needs that time. And this mm-hmm. went on for, like, two or three miles of, like, it just kind of kept building, will she do it, will she do it? And I, I'm sure there's other moments that were maybe bigger as far as the sport goes, but I really remember that being, like, I remember yelling at the other girls, like, help her out, you know? Just like, <laughs> you know, because I was, like, so into it. And that's why I think track can really be exciting if people know what's going on. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. make sure people know what's going on because that was drama that I don't even know many people knew about the drama happening was like, she was trying to get this time. The other two girls didn't need the time. They were just trying to win. Yeah. And so she's out there pushing it, but they're just like sizing up their kicks. And it was just really like interesting to see it all unfold. And that race always sticks, sticks in my brain. I remember that forever. I always tell people, man, I, I, I love a good 10 K like, I mean, my favorite person to watch race of all time is, uh, I mean, Bolt and, and Mo, Mo Farah. Like, I loved when he was dominant. I mean, I'm a big Bekele fan, too, but Mo Farah, when he was dominant, the 10K, there's so much that can happen in that race. But you really, if you really understand what's happening, what's going on, especially with Mo Farah, because he's starting off in last, he's going to the front. Like, you see so many little moves. So, yeah. I would say- I, the one I was going to throw out there was Bekele, um, Beijing, when he ran. And this is like, keep in mind, like Kipchoge and those guys are in this race. He, with 2K to go, just presses it down and starts running. He ran, I think, 450. I'm going to mess it up, a 455 or something for the last 2K. Damn. And so, and he just, Dang. I mean, it was just nasty what he did. And you're just like, yeah. He's so much better and stronger than everybody here and he just ratcheted it down. And I just remember sitting there watching this. I was like, yeah, he won. But he ran four fifty five for the last two days. And I actually think I'm wrong. I think it was a little quicker than that, but um yeah, that race is on YouTube and every once in a while I find myself like in a YouTube spiral where I'll uh I'll watch that again. Two thousand eight, a crazy year. Two thousand eight was for sure a yeah. crazy year. And then as we wind down, we always ask this question to anybody. 
on the podcast just because uh first off we need guests and i feel like it's a great question as well who should we get next on the two black runners podcast who fits the mold to be on the podcast who would be who would be a great addition uh i'm biased here so i'm going to tell you people i really like and that are my friends um i i still think like i love nick simmons he he does so much for the sport even now that he's out of it but he's what he's doing on youtube you've seen like i think Killing he, it. yeah i think he's close to 300,000 subscribers now and it's he he did a lot for the sport though while he's in it so you want to hear stories and you want to hear a guy who has passion about how to change it and how to make it better um and who's been in some of those un he's been in two of the best races in history he's been in that 800 from the 2008 trials and then he uh, was in the 2012 radisha race so like he's got perspective that very few people have um not only being at the highest level in the sport but having a very very um serious pin- opinion about where the sport should be and the good mm. and bads of it so i think he's good um honestly i mean there's so many there's so many people um i think it'd be good to get an agent on if you guys can get like if you, cool. you know any of the like there's so many good agents out there um but i think understanding that process um of okay when it's time to go pro how does that all work and having mm. that explained through an agent um and having them say here's what i do i contact athletes they contact me back here's what i'm looking for here's how i work with the brands to get the deals i think like not many people know how that stuff works yeah and i think getting an agent on board um to talk through that um there's a, a lot of good pro coaches out there i think that um you know like i know everybody thinks about uh jerry schumacher but i mean there's some really great people in the sport like danny Mackey from the beast ben rosario from naz elite kevin hanton who's you know not only did he coach high school for i'm gonna get it wrong with 27 28 years but he's still coaching professional ranks coached several olympians um, Shayla Houlihan, who's coaches down at the Dark Sky Distance Program for Under Armour. I think your audience, you know, like those are just, I think, different ways you guys can go. Like you said, I was the first meet director, but, you know, your pro coach, your agent, you know, like uh, someone like yeah. Simmons, like I think those would be cool ones for you guys to do. You got to check all the boxes, all the boxes. Yeah, I might as well. Like You're different demographics each time, right? You're getting like people who maybe care about what I do and then you got the new the nick people and you know i definitely think um any of those pro coaches too like there's such leaders in our sport that you know hearing what they have to say is always worth it and then we got one more question and we'll get you out of here just what impact do you want to leave on the sport when it's all said and done and you look back on your career and running and all the things you did what impact do you want to leave you know this is funny i i actually think about this every once in a while maybe in like a bigger way, but um, it, it maybe it's selfish to say I, I want to be somebody who made the sport better. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, whether it was like, Oh, sound running, like they did those events and that kind of sparked this transition or, Oh, like they were just known as the events that treated the athletes the best or did this or did that. I just hope that whatever we end up known for um, and, and what, whenever our name comes into play, that it's, um, seen as 
what they're doing is good, what they're doing is um, positive momentum. Um, you know, I, I hope that it's, you know, the future of the sport and all these things, but at very, very least, I hope it's positive and that we're leaving our, our positive stamp on the sport, you know, that we at least tried to do something. For the culture, y'all. He's for the culture. For the culture, I hope. Yeah, I mean, if we, I feel like that's got to be the place to start, right? If you're not starting yeah. there, like, how are people going to follow you? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a world where if you're not leading with culture, um, and I think that's something I also learned at Brooks. But if if there's something you're, you're not leading with culture, you're not going to get people to follow you. And right now, I can't get that stadium full, but the athletes can. Mm-hmm. You know, Noah Lyles can tell people to come, and they're going to come. You know, like I, can't, I'm not. They're going to listen to me. They're going to listen to Noah. You know, and they're going to listen to Delilah, and they're going to listen to Shelby Houlihan. They're going to, you know, they're not going to listen to me. And so, I need those athletes to be on board with what we're doing, in order to have that transfer to the sport becoming better. You know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You can't be mad at that, bro. And I hope I really do appreciate you coming onto the podcast. We both appreciate you. And we're going to be watching the track meet this weekend. I hope all you guys will be too on Runner in Space, wherever how you get it, you watch the track meet this weekend. And bro, thank you to all the listeners as well. And Aaron, before we sign off, you got anything else you want to say? Just again, yeah. Thank you, Jesse, for coming on. And thank you to all of our listeners, especially those ones that tune in every single week. We really do appreciate y'all. And yeah, it was fun. Got to switch it up. Yeah. Meet director. Maybe we're going to have an agent, some coaches soon. Keep on taking you guys behind the curtain. But until next week, y'all. I really do appreciate right. you, man. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much.